It's time to think about the Bible like you never have before. This is Christian Questions. After the podcast, check out everything ChristianQuestions.com has to offer. Also see our weekly video series releases at ChristianQuestions.com slash YouTube. Here's your hosts, Rick and Jonathan. Somebody once said, don't think you're on the right road just because it's a well-beaten path. I'm Rick, and this is not your typical Christian commentary as we look at Bible-related topics from a different perspective. Joining me as always is Jonathan, my co-host, for more than two decades. This podcast centers on godly principles, family values, and honest dialogue in a politically free zone. So Jonathan, what is our topic for today's episode? Does God really want me to suffer? Our theme text, Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. So does God really want me to suffer? Coming up in today, oh, actually joining to us today is Julie. Hey. <laughs> you forgot me. <laughs> no, I didn't. Really, I didn't. Never. <laughs> well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. All right. Now, coming up in today's podcast, it seems, it seems like everyone suffers, and our suffering is getting worse by the day. Does believing in Jesus change this? We're going to talk about this in about 15 minutes. If I'm a Christian, does that give me permission to pray away my sufferings? Wouldn't God want me to live in a suffering-free zone? Find out in about 30 minutes. And finally, is there a difference between the sufferings of dedicated Christians and everyone else? Why would we as Christians suffer if we're supposed to be so blessed? We'll give you an answer in about 45 minutes, but first, we need to define exactly what we're talking about. So let's set the record straight. Right from the start, as Christians, God does not want us to suffer. Suffer. Having said that, we know that he does want us to learn and grow and mature. This means he will permit us to suffer, and he will use that suffering as a tool to serve our eternal welfare. Now, what about the rest of the suffering experienced by everyone else? The answer is essentially the same. Suffering is part of the permission of evil, evil, which will be an eternal lesson for all. While these are good lessons, how do we cope with our individual suffering here and now? There are two groups of people who are suffering that we want to talk to today. There are those who may know of or appreciate Jesus, and there are those who have dedicated themselves to following him as his disciples. Two groups. In the first half of this podcast, we want to acknowledge and address those who may know of or appreciate Jesus. And there's countless individuals in this situation who are hurting and they're suffering trauma and sickness and hardship and loss. And many feel that they have no answers and no hope. And while we don't have the power to heal your hurts, we do have the power to encourage you. And we've got the power to give you the gift that we've been given. And that is the comfort of God's plan. Knowing that there is something better coming soon gives us hope and gives us meaning to our suffering. All right, so let's get into the idea of suffering. And again, we're specifically speaking to those of you who may know of or uh, appreciate Jesus. Basic principle of the human condition is simple. One of the basic principles is suffering hurts. When I'm suffering, I look for relief. So when I look at my suffering, what do I see? And when I look at my suffering, what do I want? Do I see something overwhelming and untenable or something that I can learn to deal with? When I look at my suffering, what do I see and what do I want? Jonathan, let's start with 1 John chapter 4, verse 14. This is going to give us a kind of a big picture look at looking at suffering. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. Okay, a simple statement that says God sent Jesus to be the Savior of the world. Certainly Jesus, the Savior of the world, has the power to help. But we, here and now, live in an age where divine healing is not part of our Christian faith. So where does that leave us? And you said that that divine healing is not part of our faith. We went into that scriptural basis as to why we should not be expecting physical healing in this day and age. 
in podcast 1037 called Is Christianity a Healing Religion? It's a really good one to listen to for all the scriptural reasoning for that. Yeah, and especially because today we're talking about suffering, your suffering and whatever it is, we know that it's very difficult. We know that it can be debilitating. So how do we focus on this? Let's take the principles of the following account, the account that we're about to read, to learn about what we can see and what we can hope for. This following account is about a, a man in Jesus' time named Bartimaeus who suffered with blindness. We're going to be looking at Ma uh, Mark chapter 10, verses 46 to 52. And Jonathan, we're going to take this in several pieces. As he was leaving Jericho with his disciples, a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. When he heard that it was Jesus, the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Okay, so you have Jesus is on the road. Bartimaeus is blind. He's a beggar. He gets wind that Jesus is going by and he's making a ruckus. Bartimaeus and everybody's saying, shh, be quiet. Shh, shh, stop it, stop it. He didn't care. Bartimaeus didn't care about the perceived need for quiet. Why? Because his suffering was bigger than the reactions of those who still possessed what he had lost. His suffering was big to him, and this is an important principle. His suffering was big enough to cry out. Yeah, and you notice he said, Jesus, son of David. So this man's acknowledging that Jesus is the promised Messiah. He believes in who Jesus is. Yeah, yeah, and, and that's, that's, a, that's a significant factor as well. So let's see what happens in this story. And again, we want to draw principles from this story to help us put our present-day suffering into a better perspective. Jonathan, let's go to verses 49 to 51. And Jesus stopped and said, Call him here. So they called the blind man, saying to him, Take courage, stand up, he is calling for you. Throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. And answering him, Jesus said, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want you to regain my sight. So he wants to regain his sight. Jesus hears him, stops, says, Call that man over here. And then he asks a very specific question. What do you want me to do for you? So, here's what we know. Bartimaeus, because Bartimaeus says, I want to regain my sight, we know that he once had it, and he lost it. So he had lost his sight. He knew all that he was missing, because he once could see, and now he can't. And what he longed for wasn't something uh, expensive. What he wanted was just for life to simply be normal again. Yeah. His, his, his answer to Jesus wide-open question of what do you want me to do for you was focused on simply living normally. It wasn't focused on I'd like this and I'd like this and I'd like this and then some of that. It was I just want to see again. Yeah, and that question's profound. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus knew exactly what his issue was, right? right? Identifying him as the son of Timaeus means Everybody knew what his issue was because he's that blind guy over there who always sits there. But Jesus asked this question. I think he's asking this question of all of us. What are we looking to get out of our Christian faith? And to answer this, I think we need two things. First, we need to really get a good idea of what's actually available to us. You know, does Christianity promise to physically heal us? No. Does it promise to make us rich? No. But what, what, what can we get out of it? And two, we need this honest self-examination. So Bartimaeus is looking for something very straightforward, but Jesus asks this open question, which, again, in principle, we have to look at ourselves and say, how am I answering that question? Remember we asked earlier, just when we're getting this, this segment started, when I look at my suffering, what do I see? And what do I want? So right. we're addressing suffering here. Jonathan, verse 52. Wait, what, real, real oh, quick. I just wanted to add one more point. Did you notice when he said he threw aside his cloak? Oh, yes. That's a really odd detail. He could have walked to Jesus with his coat on. You know, that, that didn't prevent him from walking. He wasn't lame. So apparently, if a person in Jesus' day wanted to be a beggar, he had to go to the authorities to prove that he was really disabled and not just lazy. And so he'd be licensed and could make a living by begging. And tradition has it that he wasn't given just a piece of paper for that license. 
um, to indicate their authenticity, they would be given an official uniform, a garment that was issued that would identify him as this, you know, legitimate beggar. This garment was valuable. So an unauthorized beggar wouldn't get donations so as not to encourage, you know, people who just didn't want to work. So if you're blind and you're in a crowd and you cast off this valuable coat and walk to a different place, you probably aren't going to get that coat back. Right, right. So in this act, he is saying, Jesus is calling me. I don't need this anymore. He will supply my needs. What faith is that? And Jonathan, when you read verse 52, what actually happens here? And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. Immediately, he regained his sight and began to follow him on the road. So we see Bartimaeus asking, receiving, and following. So the main point, and let's personalize it, somebody bigger than me, Jesus, loves me and knows about my sufferings, and he cares about me. Yeah, and, and there's, there's a, a wonderful, wonderful sense of, of fulfillment when we read this particular account of Bartimaeus. Now, he's made whole, and the scripture says, what does he do? He immediately follows Jesus on the road because he is sold out to Jesus. And probably by the way he spoke, by the way he threw off the cloak, was even before he was given his sight back. So we see a very strong faith in this particular individual. Okay, that's great for Bartimaeus, but we don't live in a time of healing here and now. So when you look at that and say, well, he was healed from his suffering, what would this mean to us? What would this mean for us in our suffering here today? Well, for those of us who may know of or appreciate Jesus, there still are very, very strong lessons here. Now, it's not the physical healing, but there's other things available. When I look at my suffering, what do I see and what do I want? Remember, we asked those questions. What if... What if we change those questions to what can I see and what can I have? Not what do I see and what do I want, but what can I see and what can I have? Principles of this account with Bartimaeus. Julie, what's the first one? Well, Jesus is approachable, and it's a matter of having enough faith to believe it, just like Bartimaeus did. Okay. He's approachable, and Jonathan mentioned that earlier. Jonathan, what's the next point? Well, we need to be clear with our needs and humble enough to ask for help. Clear with what our needs are and have the humility to ask. Julie, next point. Well, we won't be physically healed necessarily. You know, God can do what he wants, but we will be given sight. And this insight can enable us to see our suffering differently. So we're not going to necessarily get our physical sight back if that's our malady, but we can be given insight and that is very powerful when you're looking for that spiritual guidance. Jonathan, what's the next point? Being blessed by Jesus should trigger a response of deeper faith and action. And it's always appropriate to be active when we are blessed. And Julie, a final point. Our faith should help us spiritually see more than others do. And that is the ticket to where we're going to get our peace from. So we're suggesting it's not about the physical removal of suffering, but it's what can I see and what can I have in the context of the suffering that I am experiencing here and now. So while suffering may not go away, we can make a major difference with it by what we look for. Are we saying that every time we ask Jesus for something in sincerity, he will give it to us? <laughs> no, <laughs> let's be clear. No, not at all. What we are saying is that Jesus cares about the human race that he redeemed. While all the healing he did as a man walking the earth was a preview of the next age, it showed us how Jesus' nature was and is to be attentive and to alleviate hardship in whatever ways God's plan allowed. Now, I just want to make a point before we go further. Sometimes God's plan allowed for physical healing. At the time of Jesus and the apostles and the very early church, it was time for that. But for the 2,000 years after that, it wasn't. So the healing, quote-unquote, in our suffering comes to us in a different way. And it comes down to what can we see? What can we have to help us cope with what we are dealing with? So let's talk about another basic principle of the human condition. Suffering 
is a dominating force. When I am suffering, I feel overwhelmed. So another question, when I look to God and Jesus in my suffering, in this overwhelmed state, what is it? What do I hope for? Do I settle into hoping and wishing for a miracle, or do I hope to simply find some relief? Well, Rick, um, so, so you're saying my suffering is not going to go away. That's correct, yes. And you're saying I'm going to have to work at it. Yes. And you're saying I'm just going to have to see it differently? Yes! <laughs> And that's the big part. And folks, look, whatever your suffering is, and, and you know, we received many, many, many uh, emails uh, from individuals suffering horribly in their lives. And when we look at this and we say, look at it differently, many of you might say, yeah, like that's going to help. And, you know, the answer is that is going to help because we need to be able to put it in a perspective that has God involved, how do we do that? This is what we're talking about here and now. So we want to develop that a little bit. So after, so, so let, let's go on to the next piece. Let's get more to our theme text about Jesus saying, come all to, to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and so forth. Let's get, go for the context first, though. After Jesus had just proclaimed that Tyre, Sidon, Sodom, and Gomorrah would have a more tolerable time on Judgment Day than some of the cities he preached in, he then says this, and these next two texts are the precursor to Jesus giving rest. So Jonathan, let's go with Matthew eleven twenty-five and 26. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and intelligent and have revealed them to infants. Yes, Father, for this was well-pleasing in your sight. So, Rick, is Jesus saying this information is only for those who have need? Yeah, he's saying that, you know, it, it, first of all, it's a very positive take on the rejection that these great cities had given him. They rejected him, even though he was there and he taught and he did miracles. He's saying that those who are honest and humble— are capable of seeing what the proud and the powerful cannot. And I would dare say that most of us who are going through that hard, hard suffering have that humility of, I don't know what to do anymore. I'm beyond, this is beyond me. This is too big for me. That's a good place to develop the humility. And in that humility, we can then begin to listen. So we've got that as the basic context. Now that's in the next level of context. Next, Jesus puts all things relating to God and his plan in perspective. Now we're going to look at Matthew eleven twenty seven. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, nor does anyone know the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. So this is an interesting scripture because it opens up something really, really important. Julie, there's another translation you were talking about. Yeah, I wanted to bring up the easy-to-read version for that last sentence. It says, and the only people who will know about the Father are those the Son chooses to tell. And I don't quite understand that because it sounds like Jesus, you know, randomly may or may not decide to share with you the Father. And if you're not, you're just going to suffer in silence. <laughs> no, it's no, there's no randomness. Again, go back to the previous scripture. He's saying the wise and intelligent, given the opportunities, and they just turn it off. So I will go to those who are humble, those who are willing to listen, and those are the ones I will tell. That's what Jesus is saying. He's introducing the fact that if you are humble and suffering and in difficulty, well, maybe you have ears that will hear. Oh, ask, ask for help, and then you'll get help. Right, right. So now it, it, let's put this together. Because Jesus had just proclaimed that the pathway to God is through him, just like that translation, that was a really good translation for those verses, he now invites, Jesus now invites any who have hardship in their lives to come to him. That's what Matthew eleven twenty eight is going to be about. We're going to read that in just a moment. So there is a very broad invitation right here. Now, 
Matthew 11, 28 and 29 are a drawing process. There's two different things happening in those two different verses. Verse 28, we're going to consider now. Verse 28 is the broad invitation from Jesus to those who would listen, Julie, just like we were talking about, to come to him, as described in verse 27, those whom he decides he can talk to because they're willing to listen, they have ears to hear. So Jonathan, let's look at Matthew eleven twenty-eight, And folks, this is one of those scriptures that most of you probably know. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Okay, so it's a very comforting text. There's three words we really want to focus on here. Weary, heavy laden, and rest. Jonathan, let's start with weary. What does it mean? Well, it means to feel fatigue by implication to work hard. So I'm assuming it's like, I'm tired, I got nothing left. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah We've all felt that. Yeah, and, and, it's, and it's more than just, oh, I'm tired. It's that I am just exhausted. I have got, I just, I can't do another thing. It's that sense of almost exasperation because- I'm done. Yes, I am just done. I am overdone. I've been overdone twice. And folks, look. For those of you who are going through hard sufferings, isn't that the way you feel? I'm just done. I can't bear up under this anymore. It's too much for me. So when Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary, he may be talking to you. The question is, are you willing to listen? Okay, are you willing to listen? So come to me, all you who are weary, and are heavy laden. What is heavy laden, Jonathan? Well, it means to load up, to overburden uh, with ceremony. So it's like you're overloaded. I mean, you can't, you can't handle it, and you're worn out. So the overloading is, is what has taken all of the energy out of your life. And again, folks, for those of you who are bearing unbearable suffering and sorrow— isn't that how you feel? Like, this is too big. This is too much. I can't cope anymore. If you're so tired because the burden is so big and so overwhelming, these are those that Jesus is inviting in. Come to me, all you who are weary, exhausted, and completely overburdened by the weight of your experiences. And what does he say? And he says, I will give you rest. Now we need to understand, what does that mean? Well, it means to repose by implication to refresh. And also it means to cause or permit one to cease from any movement or labor in order to recover and collect his strength. So I look at it like this. So take a breath, take a break. Now get back to it. Yeah, so the, the idea of rest is not, okay, you're going to sleep for three weeks and, and take a vacation. The idea of rest is give you a break from the overwhelming fatigue and weight of your experience so you can reorganize yourself and get back to dealing with whatever it is. That's what it means for rest. So the rest is not magical. What it is, it is practical. How do you get it? Jesus says, I'm here to give that to you. So if, if we paraphrase this, Jesus is saying, come to me if you're deeply fatigued and overburdened with many cares, and I will help you to stop and collect your strength, and then like Jonathan said, and then get back to dealing with what you have to deal with. So this rest that's promised is not solving the issue, but it's giving you a way to walk through it. Remember the question, what can I see? What can I have? What do I hope for in dealing with this? So for those of us who may know or appreciate Jesus, there is a very comforting invitation here. It's very comforting when you look at this. Focusing on Jesus and his message can help us recover our strength to fight another day. So you're saying this is really a matter of perspective. Yes. Uh, we received a Facebook comment uh, from Lisa that I really like. And she said, an analogy I use is a pebble. The closer you bring it to your eye, the bigger it becomes. But that same pebble, if it's in your driveway, is so small and insignificant. So it depends on how you look at things. 
Okay, so, and, and look, we don't want anyone who's, who's bearing heavy, heavy trials and suffering to say, so you're calling my suffering a little pebble. No, 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 that's, no. That's right. That's, that's not right. the point. No, that's not the point. The point is, though, when we do hold something so close to our face, it blocks our ability to see other things. And we want to make sure that we are holding our suffering in a place where Jesus can also be seen. That's what we want to do. We want to make room for that. So, so what the bottom line message of Jesus is for all of humanity here? What, what is it? Well, relief from suffering is coming, but it comes in stages. Now listen carefully, because this is not an age of healing, but here's what we have. First is waiting for the plan to unfold. Now Romans chapter 8, verses 19 through 22, really help us to see God's plan unfold piece by piece. For the anxious longing of the creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to the corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. So the verse is saying, the creation, folks, that's everybody. And for those of us who maybe are even just getting acquainted with Jesus, that includes you, okay? You're subject to futility. What does it mean when things are futile? There's no use. You're not going to end, you're not going to undo what is to futility. Why would God say that? Why would he say, yes, I subjected you to futility? Because it's a temporary futility. That's what it says in this verse. He did it in hope that the creation, the entire world of mankind, in all of its horrible suffering, will be set free from its slavery to corruption. Where does, where does suffering come from? Satan. Satan. That's right. Satan. Corruption. Set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And when you talk about the freedom of the glory of the children of God, that doesn't sound like suffering. So there's this promise that there will be a relief in the future. We get heartbreaking stories of suffering from people who write to us, and sometimes they're pages and pages long, and there's murder and sickness and abuse and jail, and we hear about mental illness and job loss, and sometimes it's a consequence of bad choices that people make, and other times it's through no fault of their own, and we answer all of them trying to give an encouraging message about God's coming kingdom, but that text Jonathan just read said, the whole creation groans. There's not even a name for the degree of suffering that's going on in every country that Satan delights in. It's just a collective groan and complete relief might not come in this life, but we can't wave a Bible three times and poof, everyone's healed. But we, you know, we can focus on the many blessings that we have. We can seek help from our community or from our church, and we need to make righteous choices keep good company, keep our minds and bodies healthy. You know, there's certain things that we can do to help relieve our suffering or, or try to over, overpass it, <laughs> bypass it. And listen to our podcast, you know, pick a person in the Bible and learn how they handled overwhelming circumstances. Study what Jesus stands for and what he teaches and how it applies to you. Mm-hmm. Now, we recently did an episode, 1173, how do I cope with overwhelming loneliness? Well, we discussed five steps to take. First, prayer. Second, study and meditation. Third, helping others. Fourth, individual fellowship. And fifth, co-laboring and fellowship with the body of Christ. Now, this is a good episode to review because the practical details about these steps will work in many situations, not just loneliness. Yes, and learn what's available to us. You know, we can still ask God for things like forgiveness, peace, guidance, comfort, assurance in his power, courage, strength, knowledge, opportunities to bless others. We can pray for ways to be used in the Lord's service. And I think by taking that off of ours and putting it onto God and how we can help others, I think that helps alleviate our suffering. So what we're saying is all of this is difficult it's real, it's big, but it needs context. It needs to be looked at through those eyes that can see a spiritual end result to all of this. And you know what? This is all temporary. So look at your suffering. And, and I know this is easy for me to say because I'm not sitting in your shoes, 
Okay, but in my own experiences, in my own tri- trials and traumas of life, where bad, bad things have happened, this is what I had to do. Just for today, I will. Just for today, I will see things differently. Just for today, I will look for God's blessing. Just for today, I'm going to appreciate God's big plan. Just for today, I'm going to try and get out of myself and, and bless somebody else, help somebody else, just for today. And you know what happens tomorrow? You know what I say? Just for today. So maybe that can be a way that we can address our suffering by the grace of God through Jesus. Next, let's look at a scripture that are the results, the eternal results of Jesus' sacrifice. We keep saying, well, good is coming. What good? Revelation 21, 4. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. Now, if that's not a scripture that shows you alleviating suffering, I don't know what is. Hold on to things that can give you hope for the future, and just for today, work through what you're dealing with. So when I look to God and Jesus in my suffering, what do I hope for? What can I focus my expectation on? For anyone who is willing to have even a small measure of faith, the gospel provides both short-term and long-term relief. Short-term relief because it gives an unimaginable world to look forward to, and a long-term relief because it promises to destroy all suffering. There is a bigness and a comfort that comes from the Word of God through Christ. The question is, am I willing to look for it, to see it, and to live with it in my daily sight? So even a beginner's faith in Jesus can help us refocus how we see and what we expect from our suffering. Now let's shift gears. How do true disciples of Jesus manage their suffering? Is it any different? We can say that suffering for one person is the same as the suffering for another, but that would not tell the whole story. We know that all suffering will eventually teach us the sinfulness of sin. However, the suffering of those who are called by God to follow Jesus has a deeper and more profound meaning. So we're going to shift gears now and talk about those folks who have given themselves as true disciples to being footstep, sacrificial footstep followers to Jesus. The first point in discussing the suffering of Jesus' disciples is this, and this is an important point. Just because we're his followers doesn't mean we can get what we want when we want it. Remember Jesus' question to Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Shortly before that event with Bartimaeus, very, very, very shortly before, Jesus asked the exact same question of two of his apostles. It's found in Mark chapter 10, verses 35 to 38. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you. (laughs) And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? They said to him, Grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. But Jesus said to them, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Some question they ask Jesus. Jesus, Master, we want you to do whatever it is we ask. You know, I think my that doesn't sound too humble, does it? I, I think my kids ask me questions like that whenever you know when I was younger. I, I remember a, a conversation with a, a young person uh, many years ago, and he said, "This is a no, no conversation." So, in other words, there are no, no discussion. There's there's no answers of no in this conversation. Here's what I want, and and that's kind of what it sounds like. James and John are asking, "Grant us to sit on your right and left hand." Now, look. They love Jesus. They wanted to be with him. They wanted to be right next to him in his glory. That's wonderful. But they were asking beyond themselves. So Jesus asked them in turn, you know, okay, whatever it is you want, what is it you want me to do for you? And then they ask the question. Same question that he later asks Bartimaeus, but two entirely different circumstances. Here, James and John want Jesus to promise them special glory. Jesus tells them they're asking beyond their capacity and implies that earning the positions they seek would be costly. With Bartimaeus, the issue was simply to relieve suffering. So 
So Jesus asks James and John, what do you want me to do for you? Well, we want special glory. Jesus asked Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? Please let me regain my sight. There's a difference in those questions, or those answers rather. So James and John, though, seem focused on what they want Jesus to do for them, okay? Because they're not stifled by what he just said. This is a tough thing. Here's what they say, Mark 10, verses 39 to 40. They said to him, we are able. Okay, stop right there. Well, okay, whatever it is, we can do it. We can do it. We're in. Okay, and, and again, that's a wonderful enthusiasm, but it is not an understanding. And here's what Jesus says. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink, and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right or on my left, this is not mine to give, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared. And... Uh, Rick and Julie, uh, basically Jesus is saying, um, following me is going to bring even more suffering than you're used to. And extra suffering besides what your ailments are already. Now, now do you want to sit with me? <laughs> well, yeah, well, and, and that's the thing. And, you know, we, 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 we talked about it at the very beginning of this segment that the idea of following after Christ, your sufferings have a much more profound meaning. And Jesus is alluding to that right here. Jesus is plainly saying to follow me is to invite. It's to invite. You know what happens when you invite? You actually put out a, a, a feeler for, for somebody or something to come your way. It is to invite suffering into your life. Perhaps Jesus asked Bartimaeus the exact question that he asked James and John to show James and John the humility of the question that Bartimaeus would, or the humility of Bartimaeus's response. Because remember, Bartimaeus responds with, I just want to regain my sight. They had asked for something very big and powerful. There's a humility. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a humility involved in all of this, and I think Jesus is reminding James and John by asking Bartimaeus not too long afterwards the exact same question. Here's the thing about suffering. Jesus clearly suffered as a result, and as a result, he opened up the way to life. He opened the door to eternal life because he suffered. Hebrews 5, 8 and 9. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obeyed him the source of eternal salvation. You know, I wanted to bring up two points of interest here. The first is we have a sister in Christ named Rachel who lost her five-year-old son in a farming accident. And she wrote an article called Unbearable Sorrow on dealing with her grief and provides us with how she was able to even take a breath, let alone turn closer to God. And it's worth a read. And we're going to include it in this week's CQ Rewind show notes that you can read or download it at christianquestions.com or on our app. And second, uh, reading another excerpt, uh, I want to read an excerpt from our website blog. You know, I told you we get, we get many, many comments from our listeners. A man named Jeff wrote us and said he was baptized as a Christian in 2016, and he jumped out of a second-story window when he went off his medication. He has some mental illness, and he broke his back and his ankle. He ended up homeless. He ended up in jail, among other things, and he writes, I hate my life with a passion, and I want to be off this earth. I thought my life would improve as a Christian, but it sent me to hell on earth. And Rick and Jonathan, we get a lot of mail from people who can't understand why becoming a Christian didn't solve all their problems or make them rich or healthy or popular. What do you say to that? Are Christians going to suffer less? And in general, it seems like people of faith do seem happier. How is that? Well, you know, for, <laughs> there's a lot of questions there. First of all, the idea of uh, generally Christians suffer as much as everybody else, or more. There, there's a lot of suffering that goes on. Well, how do I know that? Because most of us are not able to see the suffering of many of these Christians. Why is that? Because they have come to Jesus. They have understood how to be given rest. They have God's providence working with them, and they are relying on God's Spirit to guide them through. So what is really heavy and really hard and really overwhelming has a path on which to handle it. That's what we want to strive for as Christians. Not that our suffering be removed, but that we be given the strength to walk whatever the path is we need to walk through 
that suffering. And I think that if you have that mindset of if this is God's permitted overruling for me in my life, that's how I'm able to handle my suffering and I can give it because God's allowing it. So if God's allowing it, I'm going to walk through it and see what the end result is. Yeah, and and so so let's let, let's get back now to Matthew 11, 28 to 30. Remember, we talked about verse 28 in the last segment and really focused it on Jesus' broad invitation for anyone who's, who's weary and overburdened to come to him. That's a broad, broad invitation. You need to have humility to be able to answer that invitation. All right, now verses 29 and 30 go a step further than just coming to Jesus. There's something significantly different here. So Jonathan, let's go Matthew 11, 29 to 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here, instead of just coming to Jesus, in verse 29 it says, take my yoke upon you. Now Jesus invites us to work with him. There's a big difference between coming to Jesus and working with him. The rest promised here is actually a little bit different than the rest promised in the previous verse. Come unto me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This is, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So Jonathan, what's the definition of the word rest here? Intermission, cessation of any motion, business, or labor. Oh, cessation is full stop. This is a different kind of rest here. Yeah, yeah. Remember, the other rest was take a breath so you can get back to it. Okay, take a rest, sit down, recover yourself so you can get back to it. The idea here is intermission or cessation. You stop, you completely stop. You say, wait, didn't we just say the life of a Christian is full of suffering? Yes, we did. Didn't we say the life of a Christian is really hard? Yes, we did. How is that possible? How does it stop if it's really hard? Let's look at what Jesus is quoting. When he says, you will find rest for your souls, he's actually quoting Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16. These are beautiful verses. Thus says the Lord, stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. Okay, you will find rest for your souls. The word rest literally means a resting place. So, coming to Jesus is good. Becoming a follower and a laborer with him, laborer with him opens up a whole new life. This life is, uh, is a life of always following God's righteousness, and it has rest built into it. Now, here's the thing. In the Jeremiah scripture, he says, the ancient paths, what would be the ancient paths? Following God's righteousness. And he says, look for that path. And where the good way is, that's where you walk. And when you walk that path, you will find a resting place. So what it's telling us is by walking with God through Christ as true Christians, there is a resting place while we walk. Even if we suffer, we have that overwhelming presence of God that helps us cope and therefore gives us rest. That, that, that in Jeremiah is amazing, that that's that different word for rest. I mean, that really puts it into a whole different paradigm. You know, the Apostle Paul calls Jehovah our God of all comfort. I was so happy when I found this scripture in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 5 this week. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For just as the sufferings of Christ are ours in abundance, so also our comfort is abundant through Christ. So our sufferings, we get equal amounts of comfort or rest. It's exactly equal. And you use that word comfort a lot in that scripture. So, so, so the, the point is, if you are a follower of Christ, it's a different story. There's a profound caring and application that we need to work to get to. So Jonathan, when we look at suffering with Christ here in this segment, what do we have? Whatever the sufferings are in our lives, we are promised they will come to us with a resting place as well. So on the path that walks through suffering, there is also rest. That's a big thing 
for followers of Christ. So discipleship doesn't mean life is easier, but it does mean life can have powerful tools to manage the difficulty. We just said discipleship is a life of testing and suffering and a life of rest. How can both be true? Both are true, but they obviously need to be explained. The first thing to remember is that the privilege of discipleship brings God's providence and His Holy Spirit into your everyday activities. Discipleship is also focused on our growing into the obedience and maturity that heaven requires. Because make no mistake, going to heaven is not some free pass. It requires obedience and maturity and eternal loyalty. It's a big thing. So we're talking about suffering and a life of rest. And it's like, wait, wait, how do those work together? Let's talk about that in this segment. Let's, Let's dig deeper into the Matthew theme scriptures we're looking at. So how does suffering fit in with my yoke is easy? Okay, because suffering doesn't sound like it should fit with my yoke is easy. They sound like they're contrary. Jonathan, what does that word easy actually mean? It means employed, that is by implication, useful. Fit, fit for use, useful, virtuous, good, manageable. Uh, what Jesus is saying is work with me and be productive. And I think that's the key. My yoke, in other words, working, in, when, when you're a, a, a yoke fellow, you are bearing some kind of burden. You're moving something. You, you are employed in something productive. Walk with me, Jesus, and have your life be productive. Okay, that's the meaning. My yoke is easy. Now look, on top of the sufferings from personal trials, we also have the suffering of public opinion. To be reproached may be one of the hardest tests of faith because it's about your reputation. Let's just take a look at Matthew 5.11 and look at a different kind of suffering we haven't talked about yet. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. So, Jonathan, it says, blessed are you when men shall revile you. What does that mean? Well, it means to defame, uh, that is, rail at, chide, or taunt. So, when we stand up for something higher, Christ-likeness, expect taunting. Yeah, and so how is that easy? It doesn't sound like it belongs with easy. My yoke is easy, and this is what you say? So, let's take a look at how this all works together. Because for a true Christian, for a disciple of Jesus, our suffering has deep and profound meaning and in a very important place in our lives. Let's look at 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 to 16. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing, as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing so that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exaltation. So you notice in this verse it talks about, but to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing. So we want to understand, what does it mean to share the sufferings of Christ? Well, realize, Jesus stood out in a crowd wherever he went. Why? Not that he was seeking attention, personal attention. He was different. He spoke differently. He did different things. He had a different mission. We also should stand out in a crowd, not because we're seeking attention, but because we're different, because we are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And if we don't stand out in a crowd, we might want to ask ourselves, why am I fitting in so nicely? Just, just think about that. Jonathan. <laughs> That's a good point. Yeah. Jonathan, let's continue with verses 14 to 16. If you are reviled for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and the God of rest on you. Make sure that none of you suffers as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or a troublesome meddler. But if anyone suffers as a Christian, he is not to be ashamed, but is to glorify God in this name. Can you expand on how this being reviled is easy? Because it seems contradictory. (laughs) It does. It does. Reviling is easy because it's productive. And remember, that, that word easy kind of gives you a little bit of a false sense. You know, the, the idea of easy means to be employed. It's productive because it will ultimately bring glory to God. Anything in our lives that ultimately brings God's glory is productive. It's pretty simple. Reviling brings glory to God in two ways. First, it challenges us to be spiritually minded. It challenges us to be vessels of God's glory by growing up in the Spirit. 
Secondly, it will serve as a great witness of standing for that which is right when the world does go through their time of crisis in the day, remember the day is a period of time, of judgment. So it gives a sense of bringing attention, positive attention to God, saying he is so worth standing for that even though you are looked down upon and taunted and chided because of it, you stood there anyway. It is productive. It's not an easy thing, but it is a productive thing. And remember, when you are sharing the yoke with Jesus, he's right there with you as you are being taunted because he did it first. So let, let, let's continue a little bit further. How does suffering fit in with my burden is light? My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Jonathan, what does the word burden mean here? Well, it means an invoice as part of a freight, figuratively a task or service. So thinking about it, I thought of a truck and it's got freight. And so with that freight comes an invoice. It's attached to it. It's assigned to the freight. So the invoice tells you what's on the truck. And so when Jesus says my burden is light, it's saying the what I have assigned to you to carry is going to be quote unquote light. And so following Jesus, walking with him, being in the yoke with Jesus, like to oxen, means that you have something very specific assigned to you. Julie, go ahead. So I'm not going to get two truckloads of burden if I only have one truck. Exactly. And that's why he says, my burden is light. What does that word mean, Jonathan? This was an easy one. Well, it means light that is easy. So, so it's not overwhelming, Julie. You can handle it yourself because Jesus said you could. And, and, and see, that's the big point. Remember before it was, Jonathan, when you were describing you know, heavy laden, you were saying it's just like, there's just so heavy you can't manage it. Jesus is saying, what I will give to you, you will unequivocally be able to carry. Now, I can tell you from my personal experience and some of the trauma in my personal life, in the middle of it, I'm thinking, God, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can do this another day. And somehow, by God's grace, the next day came, and it was, for today, I will. And after the experience, you look back and say, wow, by God's grace, I actually could carry it. Jesus doesn't let us have more than we can handle. My yoke, my yoke is easy, it's productive, and the burden, what's assigned to you, is manageable. It's not two truckloads when there's only one truck. So, we were talking about being defamed. Now, look, let's say that doesn't happen to us. Even if those around us don't defame or taunt us, they're going to put pressure on us to compromise our Christianity. Okay, so there's, these are, this is another level, another kind of suffering that trist- Christians go through. This is an ever-present battle on top of whatever other issues that we might be dealing with. Remember, the crowd tried to keep Bartimaeus quiet to intimidate him to suffer in silence, and they made him feel unworthy of the attention of Jesus. But he professed his faith in a hostile atmosphere. And are we quiet with our faith because we're embarrassed about making a big deal about what we believe, or we don't want to draw attention to ourselves in that way, right? That happens. And it's magnified if we're being persecuted by our government, as is the case for many of our listeners around the world. Yeah, and you know, and the example of Bartimaeus is great because the people are saying, shh, shh, be quiet, be quiet, stop it, yeah. stop it, stop making noise. And, and, and Bartimaeus had an issue, and he was not afraid to reach out to the Messiah for ha- to have that issue brought before him. But we, did you notice once Jesus called him, the crowd's like, ooh, Bartimaeus, here, let us help you and yeah, get to Jesus. That's so right. Yeah, he, he, here's your chance. he was the popular one. Yeah, yeah, but not before. No. But so, so you know, it, it, well, let's look at John 16, 33, because this is going to help us understand this, this idea of this, this pressure we're talking about. Go ahead, Jonathan. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world you shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And that word tribulation, Rick and Julie, means pressure. So this whole discipleship pathway through Jesus is all about drinking from that cup of suffering that we talked about earlier. So you might say, you know, you ask this question, does God want us to suffer? And some may say, well, yeah, that's, that's, that's what we're told to do is suffer. But the plan for mankind was never about suffering. You know, suffering is a result of the curse from sin and death. 
because Satan interfered with God's intent for mankind. We have to remember that because people, when they're at their worst, they say they curse God and they turn away from God. But the cursing should be to Satan and the evil that we're going through. So God uses the natural consequence of the disobedience of man to build character. And like you said before, Rick, to approve, uh, to prove eternal loyalty to him. And, and, you know, let's talk about suffering. Does God want us to suffer? No, but we keep saying, but he's going to let us suffer anyway. So, so it's like, well, God must want us to suffer because it's in his will for us. Think of a surgeon. You've got a tumor that needs to remove, be, be removed because it's dangerous. The surgeon's attitude is, let me, let me be, give you a fictitious surgeon. Ha, I can't wait to just cut you open and then have this big old scar and it's going to hurt. No, and that's, no. that's not what the surgeon wants. The surgeon wants you to be healed. So he says, I have to cut you open to take that tumor out and sew you back up and put you through the rehabilitation you're going to need and so forth so you can be better. God doesn't want us to feel the pain and have the tumor. He wants it out. And to do that, sometimes it's painful. Sometimes there's suffering, but there's a reason for it. It's bigger than that. One more scripture on this part, Acts 14, 22. Confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That same word, tribulation, pressure. Through much pressure, we enter the kingdom of God. Suffering is involved here. Suffering with Christ, Julie, when we look at suffering with Christ, what does it bring us? We are privileged to bear the weight and pressure of any trial that our faithful God sees that we can handle because it will inevitably lead to his glory. And that's the key for all suffering. Let's put it, look, our suffering one way or another is going to bring glory to God later. We might as well put it in perspective so we can learn from it now rather than having to learn from it later. Let's look to see the suffering through the eyes of Jesus and God's plan instead. Because here's the thing. We do, as Christians, have productive personal reasons to suffer. Romans 8, 16 to 17 is a great example. The Spirit itself beareth witness together with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs indeed of God, but co-heirs with Christ, if at least we are suffering together in order that we may also be glorified together. Heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ, suffer together to be glorified together. Pay the price, receive an incredible reward beyond what you can imagine. I don't know about you, but it's worth whatever it is God sees that we can handle and go through. And here's the thing. We will not, we will not as Christians be tested beyond our capacity. 1 Corinthians 10.13 no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation, will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So, you know, it says no temptation. And, and, and that word actually more accurately means no putting to the proof. No putting to proof. No, so no test that you have. So what we're saying is, as Christians, our sufferings are all tests that God allows into our lives. Now, sometimes they're inherited, and sometimes they, they come after we become Christians. Whatever it is, he allows them, but will never allow it to overwhelm us if we keep our minds focused on the right things and in the right places. What's the result of this? A tested faith that is more valuable than gold, which brings inner peace and direction, it brings rest. 1 Peter, 4, 7, 4, uh, 1 Peter 1, verses 4 to 7 explains that. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this testing is more valuable than gold. It has incredible power in our lives. One more scripture, First Peter 2.9. 
You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So now you've got the gospel. What do we do next? We can't keep it to ourselves. We want to reach out to those who are suffering and like Bartimaeus, come out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So there is much to work with here in terms of looking at our suffering differently. Jonathan, let's wrap this up. Suffering with Christ, what do we have? God does not want us to hurt and suffer, but he does want us to be faithful to our call. The path to faithfulness runs through trial and suffering. Let us acknowledge this fact and embrace the eternal reasons for it. Okay, our suffering has eternal reasons. So folks, look. Whether you are just acquainted with Christianity and going through hard, difficult, difficult suffering, there's good news. And the good news is that Jesus did die for you and that Jesus can give you rest if you choose to see your suffering through different eyes and you choose to look at just for today, I will, by God's grace, do this or that. For those of us who are dedicated Christians, our suffering has an even deeper, more profound meaning because it's there specifically to make us stronger in Christ. It's there specifically to help us prove that we will be loyal to God forever and ever, no matter what happens. So suffering plays a role in the plan of God, and suffering, all of it, will be eliminated in the plan of God. Give it time, let God's plan unfold, and watch how those things change. Let suffering be a tool in your life. Think about it. Folks, listen, we really do want to hear from you. Give us your feedback, send us your questions in this episode and other episodes at ChristianQuestions.com. Also, a big part of spreading the word about our podcast is subscribing to Christian Questions in your favorite podcast channel, like Apple Podcast, uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Rate us and review us. We greatly appreciate it. Next week, is it stealing if I deserve it? Talk to you then. <laughs>